Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, and if that's not love, what is, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On this week's episode, Nakia and I are sitting down for our least adjacent Christmas-adjacent movie ever, Norman Jewison's Fiddler on the Roof from 1971. Least adjacent or, or most adjacent? If it has less to do with Christmas, is it less adjacent or more adjacent? I am least interested in having this conversation, so it doesn't matter. Fair enough. (laughs) So first this week, Nakia, I thought since this is our final episode of 2019, Mm -hmm. I thought we'd take a minute to look back on the year that was here at The Unenthusiastic Critic. We refer to this little project of ours as an experiment, and I think it's incumbent on us as responsible scientists to check in on how this experiment is going. Every once in a while. Okay. Uh, first, let's look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. This year, for a variety of reasons, we ended up taking three months off over the summer, but we still managed to produce 32 episodes this year. We watched 33 movies. Mm-hmm. And I did the math on this, and this added up to over 64 hours of movies. Oh, my God. Meaning that of the 365 days in 2019, you spent two and a half of them just watching these movies. The things I could have done. <laughs> what What would you have done with those two and a half days? Better things. I don't see what possibly you could have done that would be better than this. Mm-hmm. And I figure if you fa- factor in recording time, you sort of double that, right? Sure. So call it five days. Yeah. Five days out of 365. Mm-hmm. I think that's worth it. I disagree wholeheartedly. I mean, God created the earth in seven, so, jeez, I mean, come on, I could have I could have done something else. I'm sorry, you're saying that if we hadn't been doing this, I would have you created, might have created a yes, planet? Yes, mm, Okay. I, yes, actually. Uh, I also did the math, this is our, so, so this is our 79th episode of the podcast, and counting what we did when The Unenthusiastic Critic was a blog series, we actually missed our 100th movie about four movies back. We've watched about 104 movies. Okay. That's how many movies I've conned you into watching that you did not want to watch. So we can stop now. I mean, I feel like that's a... No, oddly enough, the list just keeps getting longer. It doesn't get shorter. I think it's a nice sort of... Put a nice little ribbon on it and (laughs) did that. Well, maybe if we stopped at 100, but now we're at 104. You were obviously keeping that information from me, so... (laughs) You could have counted. Uh, How the hell? No. (laughs) You don't even remember I don't remember the actual movies, right? So I don't... Exactly. What movie did we watch last week? I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's Christmas, right? Oh, Kramer vs. Kramer. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Like a steel trap. (laughs) And here's the part that always surprises you. After every episode, I've been keeping track on whether or not you generally liked them. Mm -hmm. This is not, you know, you necessarily loved them. Okay. But just on a pass-fail grade, 
I've, I've been marking down your reactions. Mm-hmm. By my calculations, you liked 19 of the 32 movies we watched. Now, to be fair, two of those were movies you picked, so okay. you were sort of predisposed. So, 17. To like those, but we'll call it 17 to 13. Mm-hmm. So, in general, this has been a positive experience for you. Well, but the problem with the pass-fail formula is that some of those were Ds. <laughs> D-minus. D-minuses. <laughs> so, that's not really a uh, good sort of measure of my enjoyment of these films. Okay, so I, I printed out a list for, because I knew you wouldn't remember, so I printed no. out a list for you. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have a favorite movie that we watched in 2019? I mean, well, looking at the list, I disagree with most of the ones you put yeses next to. <laughs> so, Singing in the Rain, you said yes. I don't, you, I do not recall really enjoying, I, I liked one of the numbers. You maybe enjoyed two of the numbers. Singing in the Rain. Okay. And that's relevant because we're watching another musical this week, and this is proof that you can like musicals. No. And now, you know, at this point in the podcast, I will edit in a clip <laughs> of you admitting that you like singing in the rain. So just be careful what you say. Okay, so it sounds like singing in the rain was, by your standards, a hit. For a musical, yes. Okay. Yeah, I think you might actually watch this movie again someday. I would watch certain scenes. Flipping channels, sure. coming across it. If I came across Make Them Laugh, I would mm-hmm. watch the Make Them Laugh sequence and then probably turn it back off. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't like any of these. Okay. <laughs> yes, In the Heat of the Night. I am happy that I watched In the Heat of the Night. Okay. Um, for the simple fact of... Sydney Poitier. Sydney Poitier. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Blanked on the name there. Point Break, of course, everyone knows. See, I, I thought that was probably going to be your My choice love for your favorite movie. For Keanu, and then Just you had spiritual. Patrick, Patrick Swayze, Swayze with the, like, awesome haircut and just, you know. homoerotic bromance. The moral thief. I think it is a beautiful love story <laughs> and an incisive critique of American capitalism. Ooh, okay. And toxic masculinity. I am looking forward to hearing you unpack all of that for us and parse point break for meaning. Yeah, that's total bullshit. That's English essay bullshit there. I really liked point break. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, most of these have just left me with regret. Um... Do, do you see how I tried to get you to talk about the positives and you went immediately <laughs> back to the negatives? That's not true. So a quiet like your place, default position. I did enjoy a quiet place. I thought that was very well done. And okay. I, I thought it, was, it did some interesting things that it may not have actually been aware that, been it, was aware doing, that it was doing. Yes. Don't look now. I liked until the end. Okay, so what were you expecting? I don't know I'm what curious. the hell I was expecting. I, I really don't. I was not expecting a dwarf wit. <laughs> um, that's a good. I don't know what I was expecting. I was not expecting that. And then when it was that, I was like, really? Is this what we're going to do? Goodfellas was good. Which one was Goodfellas? Okay. So this is how Tommy is sort of like a black mother. Oh, okay. If you say something... <laughs> And the black mother turns to you and says, what, what What did you say? Do not repeat what you said. Like, don't I didn't, don't double right, down on I it. I didn't say anything. I, I apologize for whatever you thought. I heard, you thought you heard me say. I apologize. I absolutely did not say anything. Can I get you some water? Can I get you some? Like, are you cool? Don't repeat it. 
because that's just escalating a situation that doesn't need to be escalated because you're never going to be Tommy's always at 10 and you're just never going to be there. So, so yes, I liked Goodfellas. <laughs> what you remember of it. <laughs> See, I'm better at remembering hate. I okay, remember. All right, fine. So what did you hate? What's the worst movie we watched okay, this year? I'm pulling it up. Because... What are you angry that we watched? So thanks to your niece, I remember how much I hated Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, (laughs) because she reminded me of some stuff that I said about it that I didn't even remember saying, but then I was like, oh yeah, I fucking hated that movie. (laughs) So apparently I said something to the effect of, what is it, Pee-wee, who? (laughs) What are their names? (laughs) Pip-Pip. Toppin. Toppin a pence. (laughs) Pippin. Sure. And Mary. It's Mary? It's Mary. I did not. I As in, missed, like, Merry Christmas, Did Mary. anyone say his name ever? I think it's Mary, Mary Pink Periwinkle or something. I don't know what his oh, name is, Jesus. but it's, yeah, okay. it's it's Pippin and Mary. I missed all that. And uh, we also see that Perm Wizard <laughs> is growing some sort of shit pig army that I don't even, <laughs> like, understand what's happening there. Um, it's like shit. It's like melted shit. And then this pig monster emerges from it. I don't really understand. Um, but whatever. I was obviously paying 45% attention. <laughs> Those are the orcs, but I think we can call them shit pigs They're for the rest pigs. of the film. I'm fine with that. So, I think Lord of the Rings probably takes the cake for the worst, possibly for its length. I think pretty much everything about that. And... I think you would have hated that at any length, and then the fact that it was nine hours long... It was just bad. ...made it worse. So that's probably number one hated this year. Okay. Then... <laughs> Would come... There's so many options. Poseidon Adventure was ridiculous. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nani has provided a new piece of information about herself. I can't swim. <laughs> Bitch! Why the fuck are you on a boat? Armageddon, I don't believe you thought was a Armageddon was classic. just terrible. There was nothing about that that I liked. It was jingoism in space without the science, and it pissed me off. You're about to go to space. We don't have time for you to sit here to sing poorly to your fiance. And everybody stops and joins in. You're about to go to space. There is an asteroid hurtling towards Earth. But we got time for a little musical interlude. Yeah. No. Because otherwise, what the hell are we even trying to say? Exactly. And I keep answering that question as, there's nothing. You're absolutely right. Everybody go back home. We're just going to ride this out. It's over. What about our second excursion into the James Bond universe? Live and let die. Was that the one where he had a pigeon on his head? <laughs> no, that was Goldfinger. Okay, which one was Live and Let Die? Was oh, the God. The voodoo. The voodoo. Okay, so that's just by its racism <clears throat> is on the list of worst things I've watched this year. So then you're reinforcing these ideas of like this conspiracy of like all black people are conspiring against yeah, white people. You all know each other. We, we know that. We give a shit about you. <laughs> We'd actually rather you stay out of our way. <laughs> we are not at all thinking about you most of the time. So this idea that like it was every black person yeah. was involved in this man's scheme. Yeah. And it was basically like this game of telephone at the beginning of the honky's coming. Here come the honky. It was like 18. It's like, uh, so it's just like, we don't behave that way. That's just not the world phenomena. <laughs> what I'm curious, what exactly do you remember from phenomena? So we think Jennifer Connelly's going to die when... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> 
chimp. <laughs> chimp with, with a straight, straight razor. razor. <laughs> Jumps on the back of Frau, bitch, and slices her the fuck You up. had forgotten about the chimp, hadn't I you? I had forgotten about the chimp, and he stabs her repeatedly. <laughs> now, granted, he the monkey had amazing comedic timing. Yeah, the monkey was the best actor in the movie. But that movie was just ludicrous. <laughs> but... But again, you needed to see it. I did. But see, you use that word "need." I did not need to see that. What does that add to my life? Because it's just the five days that you've taken. Oh, I've taken the. I have come away with perm wizard with a shit pig army. (laughs) Switchblade monkey. Mm -hmm. Racist representations of voodoo. Two kids in a trench coat with Lost Boys. <laughs> so here's the question with Corey Feldman. <laughs> and I brought this up while we were watching it. Yes, you He's did. doing some weird voice <laughs> that I don't understand the choice behind. He sounds like two kids wearing a trench coat. <laughs> and I don't know why he made that choice. I just... No, this was a fail for me. This year was a fail. So what would you like to do differently in 2020? Not do this. <laughs> I would like to... Assuming that's not an option, what we would are, you like to do today differently Today is the winter solstice, and this is the day where you're supposed to set intentions for the year ahead. Says who? Fucking, you know, star people. <laughs> so, <laughs> my intention, one of the intentions that I am setting for 2020 mm-hmm. is to not do this anymore. How, how do you think that's going to work out? Well, I'm just not going to do it. So this is our last episode ever? This, this is officially our last episode. How'd this year go? Not great, Bob. <laughs> so that's my intention setting. Okay. Putting it out into the universe, hoping that I receive. I, I have different affirmations and resolutions for the mm-hmm. end of the year. So Right, we'll... but you don't believe in star people, so it does, yours isn't going to work. <laughs> okay, I didn't even know what the hell you're talking about with you star know, the people. The people that know the stars and shit and know when solstices are and when. Mercury is in retrograde, oh, yeah, yeah. which seems no, to be all the time yeah, no, lately. that's all bullshit. No, it is not bullshit. It's very, like, you got to get your crystals in order. You got to, you know, set your intentions. You got to, you know, meditate, have your, your, your mantras. I think your resolution, your year-end resolution should be to be just a little more positive in 2020. A little more open to these things. Specifically movies. You're just glaring at me now. This is dead air. So you, white man, mm-hmm. are telling me, black woman, mm-hmm. that I need to be more positive in 2020. <laughs> That's what's happening in this moment? I mean, yes, but when you put it like that, it sounds bad. Because it is. <laughs> Let's get to the nitty gritty of what you just did here. I think we're going to dump out of this segment now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good idea. The producer off stage is giving me the the cutthroat gesture, the wrap yeah. it up gesture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's 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 segue to the movie we're sure. actually watching. Our this last week. movie ever. Yes, that'd be great. In 1971, a motion picture opened all over the world that was to become one of the most successful musicals of all time, based on a legend, proclaimed a classic. It has become. A tradition. Now, United Artists presents the joy, the color, and the spectacle as one of the world's greatest motion pictures returns, now richer and more wonderful in Dolby Stereo. This 
is Fiddler on the Roof. The timeless story of the strength that binds a people and the love that binds a family. A story of the exuberance of youth. But most of all, it is a story of... Tradition! Fiddler on the Roof. More than a musical, it is a timeless legend for all mankind. A glorious celebration of the human spirit. Fiddler on the Roof. A tradition. So, what do you actually know about this movie? So, first I want to say that the only Fiddler I recognize is Lou Gossett. Um, (laughs) And the only thing I know about this film is that there aren't Nazis, because I kept thinking that there were Nazis. You kept assuming this was a Holocaust movie, because you think any movie about Jews (laughs) must be a Holocaust movie. That's not true. I do not think that any movie about Jews is a Holocaust movie. But somewhere I picked up that there were were Nazis in this movie. But apparently there are not, which that's great. So that's all I know. On the plus side, no Nazis. On the plus side, no Nazis. So okay. that's what I know is that there are no Nazis in this movie. So this seems like a good one for me to ask, and I haven't done this in a while. What what do you think this movie is about? Um, Please tell me what you imagine the story of Fiddler on the Roof to be. It's a fiddler. Who's <laughs> the, main, also the main character is a fiddler. A roofer. <laughs> and I think he has like daughters, right? <laughs> okay, where are you getting that from? I wasn't that, like, I don't know. This, this is why we call this segment cultural osmosis, because this stuff just his, seeps into you from somewhere. His daughter's married uh-huh. is a plot point. Okay. I, I don't know why you know that. That's um, true. See? And that's it. Literally all I have. That's literally I all have you. a vision, though, of, like, Nazis storming into, like, a village. Oh, okay. It's not in this movie? People storm into a village, but they're not Nazis. Okay, so maybe I assume that they were Nazis. just assume they're Nazis. Okay. They are, in fact, Cossacks. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Potato, potato. Not at all, but okay. I guess. All right. So as I said last week, this is not only not Christmas adjacent, it's it's not even Hanukkah adjacent. There's no mention of either in this movie, Uh, though it does take place in the wintertime and everybody looks very cold. So that's seasonally appropriate. Mm -hmm. But... Fiddler on the Roof has actually become a Christmas Eve tradition in cities all over the country. Tom Tugend, writing in Jewish Telegraph Agency, says, Sick of eating Chinese food and taking in another modern blockbuster on Christmas while your Christian friends party together with sweets and eggnog? Thanks to the imagination of Greg Lemley, co-owner of a chain of eight art house cinemas bearing his family name in Greater Los Angeles, Jews in that city have another festive option, watching and singing along with the classic Fiddler on the Roof at local theaters on Christmas Eve, alongside fellow Jews dressed as their favorite characters from the fictional Anatevka. This year, for the 12th straight year, six Lemley theaters in L.A. are hosting Christmas Eve sing-along screenings of Fiddler, complete with trivia contests, prizes, and people dressing up for it, much like, I guess, Rocky Horror. (laughs) 
Uh, and this new tradition has spread. Seattle's SIF Cinema is hosting a Christmas Day screening this year, which includes live klezmer music and free Chinese takeout. Chicago's Music Box Theater, just a few blocks from us, is not doing it this year, but they have done it several years. And I'm hoping they bring it back so you and I can make it part of our annual I will not be doing that. Christmas traditions. I will not. I, you know that I do not believe in Music Box's sing-along film tradition. Apart from the sound of music, none, all, none of it. I, I vehemently hate <laughs> the idea of it, so I will not be doing that ever. So I had had a few other options in mind for our final Christmas adjacent movie this year, but you know they were all just more stories of emotionally stunted men, and I figured you'd had enough of that this year. Mm. So this thin tie-in with Fiddler's new status as a non-Christian Christmas movie gave me an excuse, which I always welcome to, you know, force you to watch a musical. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any point in our restating your feelings about musicals here? I, Probably I feel our, like it's pretty known. Any of our long-time listeners. We might have new listeners. This might be their anything. first episode, and they if need anything, to know how you, feel, how you feel about musicals. I hate them. <laughs> I do not see the purpose in them. Why sing when you can talk? Most of the time, the songs are not well-written songs, and the music is... I love music. I hate musicals. That's, that seems like a contradiction It's not, me. because most musicals, the music actually isn't good. <laughs> so, it makes me angry. Like, just, I don't want you to sing shitty music to me when you could just talk. One of the things that came out during our Singing in the Rain conversation is your aversion to musicals mm -hmm. stems from a, a dislike of earnestness. Yes. And that's that was one reason why that one went down a little easier sure. for you, because it was not quite as earnest and cheesy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, this makes me sound like a terrible person, but I just don't, I have no patience for it. I don't, and I imagine this one is probably very earnest. So, which is maybe why I was hoping there were Nazis. Because that would... <laughs> Okay, that does make you a terrible person. Because <laughs> that would, like, Nothing you said up until now a made you a terrible bit. person. Cut it a little bit. But you're saying that you were hoping a there were Nazis. A little bit of an edge. Give me a little, <laughs> bit, of a, a little bit of an edge. But. I'm hoping somebody comes in and kills these people <laughs> to stop them from singing earnestly. That's what you're saying right now. Do you feel okay with that? Do you feel okay with the person you're being right now? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk about Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Is he a Fiddler? <laughs> Actually, no. Is he a roofer? <laughs> no, he's not. Neither a Fiddler nor a roofer, which I grant you is false advertising. So at no point is he fiddling on a roof? There is a Fiddler. The main character is not the Fiddler. Is the Fiddler on a roof? Uh, yes. Okay. Continue. <laughs> It's really more of a metaphoric fiddler. We'll we'll get to that later. What is a metaphorical fiddler? <laughs> what the hell is that? You you might have to actually watch the movie. I don't to, want to. to get to the bottom of I that. Don't, I don't want to know that enough <laughs> to watch the movie. Okay. Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof was developed by Jerry Bach, Sheldon Harnick, and Joseph Stein, based on the short stories of Sholem Aleichem. Aleichem has been called the Jewish Mark Twain, although Mark Twain, upon meeting him, told him that he was the American Sholem Aleichem. Born in a shtetl in what is now the Ukraine in 1859, Aleichem became a giant of Yiddish literature, producing over 40 volumes of short stories, plays, and novels. He emigrated to America in 1906, and his funeral in 1916 was one of the largest New York had ever seen, attracting hundreds of thousands of mourners. There are nine stories about the main character of Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia, who is in fact a milkman, not a fiddler. Okay. Or a roofer. Okay. 
There are nine stories told from 1894 to 1916. The stories sort of unfold in real time throughout this period. Tevye gets older, his daughters marry and move away, and he sort of chronicles the changes in his in his community that are happening during that time. I have not read these by all reports. The the stories are somewhat darker than what we get in the musical, which I guess is not surprising. Mm-hmm. Here's William Derisovitz in The Atlantic. Sholem Aleichem was the great chronicler of Jewish existence in the Pale of Settlement during the decades of its simultaneous efflorescence and dissolution. The Pale was the vast territorial ghetto to which the Russian Empire confined its Jews, and in which it spasmodically oppressed, attacked, and immiserated them. By 1897, the area contained some 5 million Jews, nearly half the number on the planet. As the century came to a close, enormous changes in their lives were underway. The assassination of the Tsar in 1881 had ignited an unprecedented round of persecutions, the first major wave of pogroms, restrictions on movement, education, and ownership, expulsions from rural areas into towns and townlets. It had also touched off the mass emigration, mostly to America, that would come to number more than two million. At the same time, the empire was rapidly modernizing and its Jews were modernizing with it. All the conflicts we imagine as peculiar to contemporary Jewish life were already besetting that timeless world. Religious practice was declining, religious belief was fading, children were forgetting quote-unquote who they were, and parents were letting them or fighting them. New money was coming in, upsetting old arrangements and values. The siren call of Western modernity was wafting through the pale, luring Jews to socialism, secularism, and other idolatries. So that's what that's what the short stories are about, or is about this period for Russian Jews at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I haven't read the stories, so I can't talk about those very much. But these are the stories that Bach, Harnack, and Stein, all the children of Jewish immigrants, turned into Fiddler on the Roof in 1964. And to direct and choreograph the show, the producers brought in the great Jerome Robbins, who had scored such a huge hit a few years earlier with West Side Story. And this in itself is interesting because Jerome Robbins was born Jerome Rabinowitz. Hmm. His father was a Russian Jew who had emigrated to America, but he had anglicized his name and spent a lot of his career running from his Jewish heritage. Yeah. But in, in 1959, Robbins had taken a trip to Poland in search of the Jewish village where his father was born, only to discover it had been destroyed in the war. Uh, and this almost certainly was part of his inspiration for making this play. Everybody, including the investors, worried that this show would have limited appeal because it was too Jewish. Uh, Joanna Merlin, who originated the part of the oldest daughter, Zeitel, said, We all thought it was going to close after the Jews had seen it. We thought it was a show for Jews. But according to Dreisowitz in The Atlantic, its Jewishness, in fact, turned out to be the key to its success. After a couple of decades of post-war assimilation, during which Jews, like Catholics, won gradual mainstream acceptance, ethnic identity was beginning to reassert itself. The melting pot was being reimagined as a salad bowl, and the movement that Fiddler helped launch would eventuate, 13 years later, in Roots. You just said, the only Fiddler you recognize is Roots. They're arguing that this is part of that sort of re-interest mm-hmm. in discovering cultural identity. Interesting, okay. At any rate, the show became a huge success. Opening in 1964 with Zero Mustel in the lead role, Fiddler on the Roof became the first musical ever to surpass 3,000 performances. It ran for eight years, holding the record for the longest-running Broadway musical until being surpassed by another one of your favorites, Grease. No. <laughs> It was nominated for 10 Tony Awards and won nine, including Best Score, Musical, Book, Direction, and Choreography. The film, released in 1971, is directed by Norman Jewison, who we discussed earlier this year in our episode on In the Heat of the Night. Yes. 
he is not actually Jewish. And in fact, he said he had, when he was hired for this, he went in and told the producers, you guys know I'm not Jewish, right? <laughs> Just because my name is Jewison. He's a white Protestant from Canada. But I think he was a good choice for this. As we discussed in our episode on In the Heat of the Night, he, he had a real interest in and talent for ethnic communities. Mm-hmm. He did Moonstruck. He did A Soldier's Story, The Hurricane, In the Heat of the Night, Jesus Christ Superstar. I think he's a very good, underrated director. The film, quite controversially, cast Israeli actor Topal instead of Zero Mustel, who had originated the role on Broadway. The producers thought Mustel was larger, too larger than life, and they wanted to go a different way with the movie. The film was nominated for eight Oscars and won three for sound, cinematography, and music. It was the highest grossing movie of 1971. I love this movie. I think it's one of the best film versions of a musical ever made. And that's, granted, not a high bar because most film versions of musicals are awful. Mm -hmm. But I think you might find it more interesting than you think. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about sort of the background on it is because I think these issues of ethnic identity and assimilation and all of that are going to be very relevant to our discussion okay? because that's really what the movie is about and all the discussions about this movie there is sort of this tension between it being this kind of universally themed story Mm -hmm. versus its specific cultural markers as a jewish movie scholar elisa solomon who wrote the definitive book on this movie wonder of wonders a cultural history of fiddler on the roof talks about this She says, the civil rights movement lent urgency to the theme of tolerance, even as it ignited a widespread passion for reclaiming ethnic roots. The Jewish community was just beginning to come to terms with the Holocaust. The play presented America with one of the first popular post-Holocaust depictions of the vanished world of Eastern European Jewry. At the same time, she says, Fiddler belonged to everyone. It's a global touchstone for an astonishing range of concerns. Jewish identity, American immigrant narratives, generational conflict, communal cohesion, ethnic authenticity, and interracial bridge building among them. And I think it's true. I think it is very universal. I mean, I think it is, the basic plot is about a father with five daughters to marry off. That's, you know, Jane Austen. I think the movie is, it's about tradition. I think it's about assimilation, the struggle to maintain cultural identity. And it has resonated all over the world. In 1971, there were 15 productions in Finland alone. (laughs) One of the writers, Joseph Stein, liked to tell the story about how he was approached by a Japanese producer who said, do they even understand this show in America? Because it's so Japanese. Really? Yeah. So, I don't know. I love this movie. I'm not Jewish. Very not Jewish. Very not Jewish. (laughs) Very not anything, really. (laughs) So, I don't know. I I think there's a chance you might enjoy it. I think... One of your frequent traumas when you watch musicals (laughs) is when one song ends and another begins about 30 seconds later. Yes. That that may come up a couple of times in this movie, just Mm -hmm. so you just so you can prepare yourself. (sighs) All right. So what do you what do you after all that? What are you expecting from Fiddler on the Roof? Um, Well, I'm expecting to hate it because I hate musicals. So that's. And it's long. It, so those it's, are... I mean, it's not super long. You said three hours or over... It's, it's less than three hours. Like 258? It's uh, 179. Mm-hmm. So that's a minute less than yeah. three hours. Yeah. So really, you can only be pleasantly surprised from here. Yes. Okay. Or fall asleep, which is highly yeah. likely. I'll, I'll poke you if I see you starting to nod off. All right. <laughs> or just turn it up so the songs are really loud. With your metaphorical fiddle? <laughs> We're gonna dis- we're gonna discuss the metaphor of the fiddler. Okay. Okay, let's go do that. Right. A fiddler on the roof, 
Sounds crazy, no? But here, in our little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Fiddler on the Roof. Nakia, I suppose the first question I should ask you is, But do you love me? No. I thought you probably didn't by now. What did you make of Fiddler on the Roof? Um, so it was pretty painful for me. You, every single time, uh -huh. the music starts to swell. Yes. And you become aware that characters are about to burst into song. Mm -hmm. You wince. <laughs> you roll your eyes. <laughs> you sometimes writhe on the couch in almost physical agony. Yes. What is that? I do not. It is painful for me <laughs> to experience that. <laughs> When I feel like you could just say what you need to say. And again, nine times out of ten, I don't enjoy the actual songs. I don't think that they are good and this, songs. And this was the tenth time. No, this was inclusive. These are all great songs. No, no, no. They were not great songs. And again, it's the earnestness. It's the... It, I just... I have very little patience for it, and I recognize it as a particular defect of mine. I'm not even saying that, you know, musicals are without merit. I Most of the world enjoys them. <laughs> they cause me such annoyance, I can't even begin. I just can't do it. And there are a lot of songs uh, in this, in, in Fiddler There's on the Roof. There's not that many there, songs. There are a fair number of songs in Fiddler on the Roof. So, if you were to remove the songs... <laughs> Okay. I think I, if you were to stage a non-musical version, non-musical version the of Fiddler, I I may have enjoyed it more, and it would have been shorter, which would have been a bonus. Because here's the thing, mm -hmm. I felt like it started to get repetitive. So once you get the model of the first daughter, she marries somebody the dad doesn't right, we've like. Got three daughters. Yeah, to, they go through the same. Initially, he's all up and, and then arms. We have a reprise of that little yeah, song, and then he. Goes back and says, oh, well, tradition, but yes, I love my daughter, and so I'm going to... And so that happens to the first daughter, it happens to the second daughter, and then the third daughter just crosses the line because she's marrying a Gentile. So that's the one that sort of breaks him. <laughs> right, that's a bridge too far. Until the very end. But so it just felt a little bit repetitive because it was just like the same sort of story beats mm, over the course of yeah, the film. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of other stuff happens. No, too. a lot, yes, but for the most part, the, the biggest thing is... The whole, his daughter sort of breaking with tradition. Mm -hmm. So, it was fine. I don't know what to do with you. You know how I feel about musicals, so none of this should be a surprise. 
Okay, but apart from it being a musical, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you sort of liked it. I sort of liked it, felt that it was repetitive. If I could have taken a hatchet to this thing, like... I was sitting Make there a like ninety minute movie. Pretty much, I was sitting there like, "Oh God, are they going to do this for the second, the two last daughters as well?" And then I would have <laughs> just lost my shit. So, because it was, it, it was literally the same character beats for each of the three daughters for the most part. And so it's like it wasn't exploring anything new necessarily. It wasn't saying anything new. Well, they thing. were because each one was different. Each one was. It was going a different a dude, but it was the same reaction on his part. Really. Okay, we'll we'll get to the three daughters. Let's start with general mm-hmm. world and characters here. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me about Tevia. So, Tevia is a farmer. He's a, he's a milkman. Milkman. And he is very committed to tradition. Uh, as we learn in the first song. As we learn in the first song. And is in constant sort of dialogue with God. He has a very close relationship with God. About the sort of the plight of Jews in general, but him specifically, <laughs> and how sort of put it's a, put upon, put upon and just, you know, it's nice to be tested, but sometimes I just yeah. like to have a nice life. I know we're chosen, but can't yeah. you choose someone choose else someone once else. in a while, exactly. he says. <sighs> Was that necessary? <laughs> Did you have to make him lame just before the Sabbath? <sighs> that wasn't nice. It's enough you pick on me. Bless me with five daughters, a life of poverty. That's all right. But what have you got against my horse? Really, sometimes I think when things are too quiet up there, You say to yourself, let's see, what kind of mischief can I play on my friend Tevye? So yes, that's Tevye. And that has to be a likable character because we spend basically the entire film with him. And I do think that he is, for the most part. Yeah, I like Tevye. I I think DePaul is very good. Mm -hmm. I think he's very likable. He's very likable. Obviously, I never saw Zero Mostel in this role, but mm. I, I really like this character in this movie. I, I do think he carries the movie. Yeah. And through him, we meet this little village of Anatevka. Mm-hmm. Very colorful village. Mm-hmm. And the film does a good job of really building in, really sort of building out a world and creating this feeling of community. You know, I think you talked at the top about the sort of universality, mm-hmm. even though it is very specifically, you know, a Russian Jewish experience or a, right. portray- a portrayal of a particular Russian Jewish experience. There are themes in it and sort of portrayals that you could overlay any community. You know, every community has, you know, the beggar, quote unquote. Every right. community has the yenta. Every mm-hmm. community has the, in this instance, it's a rabbi, but it could have been a priest or it could have been any other sort of... Um, wise elder sort of character. There was a reference on an episode of Community to an all-black production of Fiddler on the Roof Mm. called Fiddler, Please. I would have enjoyed seeing that. (laughs) That could have been very cool. But no, it is. And you can imagine the Japanese version of this. We talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's really... It does a really good job of illustrating a specificity and this universality, Mm -hmm. which I think is can be a difficult thing to accomplish without losing something on one side. So, for example... The Sabbath, the montage of the Sabbath dinner, mm-hmm. I thought was actually really, 
kind of powerful because you get these sort of cuts of the of different families across the town having Sabbath and the, right, all the different homes, the ritual right around mm-hmm. it, and that everyone was sort of doing the same thing. And it was it was, it was um, I thought that was a really sort of powerful moment, despite the song, despite the fact that there were people singing, right? Despite the fact that there mm-hmm. were people singing, okay. yes. <laughs> and I do think I do think the themes are universal. Mm-hmm. I think the the tension between tradition and modernity modernity and, mm-hmm. and assimilation and all of that mm-hmm. is, is very universal yes and very precarious which is where we get to the metaphoric fiddler his hallucination ask, how is the fiddler a metaphor <laughs> yeah it's like what was that um that alien on the flintstones <laughs> <laughs> the little green that only fred could was it kazoo see? wasn't it no, that, that sounds was, right something <laughs> was like, you think that's what the fiddler is <laughs> it's like is he hallucinating I was um, I was looking at, I was a little it, this was actually the first time I thought about that yeah because I had just assumed that that was a position in the town that the town no, I think when I saw it as a kid yeah I just assumed that oh towns like that had a fiddler that, who just hung out on the who roof just hung out on the in roof purple and suits played music <laughs> <laughs> no it was uh, a figment of his imagination or a hallucination <laughs> or it's kazoo representing tradition tradition and, and the precariousness of sort of balancing tradition mm-hmm. with this sort of movement towards change whether chosen or forced right. um yeah the producer said that was inspired by uh the paintings of mark chagall oh who he has a, the fiddler yeah. figure in a lot of his paintings hmm. okay okay so let's talk about the rest of the family starting with golda I mean, she's really the only other person we're talking about in the family. The daughters all sort of seem to run together to me. <laughs> so yeah, so Golda was quite the character. Very much the trying wife who, you know, is always nagging and has something to say and wants to drive everything mm-hmm. while respecting... Well, and, and does drive and everything, does drive really. everything <laughs> While respecting yeah. the sort of traditional rules. Tevi is very big on this, I'm the man of the house, yeah, I make all the decisions, but he's scared <laughs> yeah. to death of her. Uh, and I'm also a fan of a mother who's like, marry for money. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I respect Golda. Out, all of you, I want to talk to Yenta alone. But mama, the men she finds... The last one was so old, and he was bald. He had no hair. A poor girl without a dowry can't be so particular. You want hair, marry a monkey. Even a poor girl without a dowry has to look at her husband sometime. A husband is not to look at. A husband is to get. It's amazing how often that theme comes up. It's an important theme. Your own regrets exerting themselves (laughs) about who you chose to marry. But, I mean, of the family, I think it's... Tevye and Golda are really the, the more sort of developed characters. I don't, we don't get a whole lot really from the daughters, in my opinion. Like they I fall mean, there's in not love a lot of complexity yeah, there, no. And that's sort of it. So. Uh, and we first meet them in what I think is one of the best songs, which is Matchmaker, Matchmaker. I hated that song. <laughs> How can you hate that song? I just didn't like it. It's a fun song. Is it? Yes. What's fun about it? I think it does, and I think a lot of the songs in the movie do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this. A lot of the scenes in the movie do this, where it takes a turn in the middle of it. Yes. Because the first half of the song it's is them all thirsty. dreaming yeah. about mm-hmm. making a match. Yeah. And then they sort of realize that... We don't actually want that. Right. We could get really, really screwed yeah. in this whole matchmaker process mm-hmm. and end up stuck for life with something we don't want. Yes. Matchmaker, matchmaker, you know that I'm still very young. Please, take your time. Up to this minute, I misunderstood. 
that I could get stuck for good. Yenta, see that he's gentle, remember you were also a bride. It's not that I'm sentimental, it's just that I'm terrified. Matchmaker, matchmaker, plan me no plans, I'm in no rush, maybe I've learned. Playing with matches a girl can get burned, so... So I actually really like how that that song is structured. Could have been a conversation, though. But okay. (laughs) People enjoy the music. People enjoy the songs. People who go to see these things in the theater wait for the songs. They're excited when a new song. Oftentimes, the story is just linkage between the musical numbers. Mm -hmm. It's bathroom break for me. (laughs) Every song. Every song. (laughs) You have. No soul. <laughs> yeah, so the three daughters. Zeidel is the oldest. Yes. Um, Hoddle is the middle daughter. Mm-hmm. Hava is the younger, the third daughter. Yes. And then there's two that we obviously don't much younger about, daughters yeah. who I don't even know their names. And yeah. They have no... They're not of marrying age yet, so they don't matter. <laughs> they don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Although later in the film, Yenta, who's starting to get nervous about how this is all going... Mm-hmm. Tries to lock them down early because <laughs> she hasn't managed to make a match for any of the three older daughters. Yeah. So, yeah, all three girls, you know, go against tradition and against their mother's wishes and marry the men that they love. So, Zydal marries the... Okay. You slow down. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this is why this shit is three hours long. Let's just... We can just move it along. Okay. Yes, this is how the movie is structured. So, let's take each of these one at a time. Okay. Zydal has the longest storyline. Yes. She and Model mm-hmm. have been friends since childhood, but Yenta has made a match for Saitl with Laser Wolf. Yes. The Butcher, who's mm-hmm. about, what do we think? 60, 60 65? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About the age of her father, if not older, yeah. Yeah, older than her father. Mm-hmm. A good match. You would never nice be man, a without good catch. meat. True. True. He's wealthy. He is wealthy. You know, deals in meat. So, Devia says, my daughter will never go hungry. Married to a butcher. Devia doesn't like him. He wants his daughter to marry scholars. Yes. And this butcher is not a scholar. Devia thinks of himself as an intellectual. He's not really. He's not. No, he is often misquoting things. (laughs) Yeah. Most of his quotes from the good book are not from the good book. And the ones that are, he misattributes. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, but Golda sees this as an opportunity for her daughter to rise above her station. Mm-hmm. And, and you think that's the way to go. Be taken care of, you know. Your takeaway from this is marry for meat. <laughs> the meat is in my pants. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it, you should consider it. Here's So, like, what's her name in uh, An Officer and a Gentleman, when she's like, I'm not marrying a J.C. Penny manager. I just feel like you should just, you should consider it. Think about long term. Like, this is a tailor who doesn't have a sewing machine, you know? He's saving for a sewing machine. Right, but it seems like, it sounded like he had been saving for, like, years for this sewing (laughs) machine. Well, these are very poor people. Exactly, which is why you should just go ahead and marry the butcher. I'm just saying. He had a very lovely home. And he's old. He's probably going to die. Well, okay. Now that part I would think about. You know, because how how much longer is Laser Wolf going to last? Really, with a bunch of fucking meat. Right. 
just wait it <laughs> and out. Then, and then you can marry. And then right, the skinny exactly. And buy him and a buy fucking him sewing a, machine. Buy him a new sewing yes. machine, not a used one that so he's I'm saving saying, up for. People are not, you know. <laughs> You gotta plan these no, things. No foresight. No foresight. Um, oh, we skipped over that song too, which is Lachaim, the drinking song. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Was that the one in the bar? In the bar. My wife! May all your futures be pleasant ones, not like our present ones. Bring Lachaim to life, to life. Lachaim, 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 Lachaim to life. So the only thing I liked about that, so there were two scenes that I, well... I this, is, this is Laser Wolf and Tevia make yeah. their arrangement, and then to celebrate it, they go out drinking. Yes. So I liked the men dancing, like the, the choreography in that scene. Yeah. I thought it was really very cool. And then it happened again, fast-forwarding to Zytle and Model's wedding. Mm-hmm. The gentleman doing like the the bottle the dance, bottle dance yes. was that yeah. was just phenomenal. That's some great shot. Jerome Robbins um, choreography. It was wonderful. So I did yeah. appreciate some of the dancing. That scene in the bar is interesting because that's where the the Jewish men are there drinking, and then the the Russians mm-hmm. enter the scene, and there's there's a tension. Like, are they going to fight? And then they all end up dancing together, and because that that tension runs throughout the movie right. too of right. these two communities living side by side. Yeah, but at that point. Things are still fine. Everybody's still getting along okay. Sort of. Did you like Model? What was there to like? What do you mean? He's very sweet. Most of the film, he was like a bitch ass, like <laughs> was too afraid to ask her father and kept like stuttering. He's, he's a little scared like, of Tevye. I, I want to ask you, uh, 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 just do it. We don't have time. This is why you've been saving for years. So I didn't see anything to like, really. He seemed nice. But he finds his, his backbone. Eventually. Sure. After she had to, like, turn down someone else. If he had just stepped up to the fucking plate, then they could have intercepted the laser wolf thing. Like, if he had just done it the day that she told him to do it. But it's like, so. He's perfectly nice. (laughs) Seems like he'd be boring in his pants. (laughs) So. The butcher might be into some interesting things. Uh, So, yeah. You don't you don't think model's gonna be an exciting Hell, lover? No. This is your concern. No. <laughs> nope. Not at all. So not a provider. No. And not nope. equipped in other ways no. to yeah. make a woman happy. Not particularly interesting. No. <laughs> so wrong. No. He probably like asks permission before. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. So yes, we get we get the first of these scenes of Devia deciding what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I actually like how those scenes are shot. It's always tricky to make musicals cinematic mm-hmm. as opposed to stagey. And I think this is one of the movies that succeeds in doing that. Okay. But I like how that, you know, when Tevia is deciding what to do, everything freezes. And then Model and Seidel are like way far away mm-hmm. while he's sitting there debating with himself or mm-hmm. talking to God about yeah. what he's supposed to do. And then, yeah, here the issue is simply that Model is poor, and they arranged their own match. They didn't right. go through the matchmaker. Right. Which is not that big a deal, as it turns out. Well, and he had already, you know, promised her to the butcher, which was the other thing. Oh, yeah. Yes, he had already made the arrangement with, yes. with the butcher. Stop talking nonsense. You are just a poor tailor. That's true, Reptavia, but even a poor tailor is entitled to some happiness. I promise you, Reptavia, your daughter will not starve. 
Ah, he's beginning to talk like a man. On the other hand, what kind of a match would that be? With a poor tailor? On the other hand, he's an honest hard worker. But on the other hand, he has absolutely nothing. On the other hand, things could never get worse for him. They could only get better. So yes, Tevia does break down and give them permission to yes. get married. But there's a line in that song, and he repeats it each of those three times. He says, one at a time you pull out the prop, and where does it stop? Which is, if you start compromising on these things, if you start mm. breaking with tradition, right. then what are you left with? Right. And we see that throughout the movie, because each time it's a more extreme mm -hmm. violation of the traditions yes. of the unwritten laws of this community. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he loves his daughter, so. But then he has to uh, explain it to his wife. Yes. So he gaslights her. At this point, Golda thinks <laughs> that she's marrying the butcher. Yes. Um, so he tricks his wife into thinking <laughs> that... All of the ancestors and the butcher's uh, dead wife <laughs> visited him in a dream. Came to him in a dream and said that if she married Laser Wolf, their life would be, you know, full of just pain and misery and haunting. I guess See, this this is why I love this movie. Okay. It's all over the place. Yes, tonally. Yes, I mean parts of it, especially in the second act, get very dark mm -hmm. and very realistic and very. And then you have this scene which is basically Beetlejuice. <laughs> With all these dead relatives coming back and you staging this huge musical number. She I must have it. heard wrong. She meant the butcher. I'll tell her. You must have heard wrong, Grandma. There's no tailor. Huh? You mean the butcher, Grandma, by the name of Laser Wolf. No, no, no. I mean the tailor, Tedia, my great-grandchild, my little psyche. Such a match, I pray. In heaven, it was made. A fine, upstanding boy, a comfort and a joy. The tailor mocker comes on. And somehow it all works to me. Yeah. So you didn't enjoy that scene? Again, it was a song, so not particularly. I thought it was very interestingly staged. Mm -hmm. I love all the dead people popping out from yeah. behind the Yeah, and, and they're still in the bed. And then it's, So I do think it looked really cool. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's one of those things that are very different to sort of translate to film from stage. But mm -hmm. I think they did a great job with it. It was just, you know, the song. And particularly care for the song. <laughs> it works, though. It does work. Gold, Golda falls for it. Yes. In fact, at that point, she she's blaming him for ever wanting to marry <laughs> Zytel to the butcher. Yeah. So Zytel and Model, that's the only actual wedding that we see, too. Yes. What, what did you think of the wedding scene? I liked the wine bottle dance. <laughs> and then that was another sort of pivotal moment of breaking down or challenging tradition, uh, because then you had... Uh, the Bernie bro was like, I'm going to dance with a girl and everybody should just dance 
with an, a person of the opposite sex because yes. this doesn't make any sense. Because traditionally the, the sexes or, are, the are separated, are separated right. in these things. So they do. And Hoddle dances with and him. And Hoddle dances with him and they even dance with the rabbi and it's a very... <laughs> yeah, they sort of trick the rabbi yeah, into Very cheerful, beautiful moment. But this is after Laser Wolf is just like, can we talk about how this is fucked up and how I'm at <laughs> yeah, the Laser, wedding? Laser Wolf is pissed. Yeah. He tries. He's, he's like, here's there. some chickens, but this is fucked up. Like, we need to talk about the facts. That I'm at a wedding for the woman that I was supposed yeah, to be marrying. Yeah, this was supposed to be my wedding. Yes. Then everybody and, he and Tevia get into it. I like when uh, Tevia is yelling at Laser Wolf and says, "You know, you can keep your diseased chickens." And Model keeps trying to stand up and say, "Hey, wait, those are my chickens." You know why? Because <laughs> he's been saving for a sewing machine. He can't even afford a sewing machine. Okay, those free chickens are super important. So that happens, but everybody ends up dancing, and then we get the escalation of the sort of external parties pushing change. Right. The Russians ride in um, and start to yeah. like break up the wedding. And So there's this, this character of the constable mm-hmm. in town who is friendly with Tevia, mm-hmm. but has warned him that, you know, the government has ordered that there be some sort of demonstration of authority yes. on this community. Yes. Um, not quite a pogrom, but... Not quite. Yeah. They chose the night of his daughter's wedding to mm-hmm. do this. And then go on to like pillage the town a little bit. And so yeah, not mm-hmm. a great night for a wedding. Okay, so let's so what about the second daughter, Hoddle? Hoddle marries a Marxist or wants to marry a Marxist. <laughs> um he is This is Perchick. So tiring. <laughs> I just played by Paul Michael Glazer, who you were too you were too young to recognize. He is uh is he Starsky or Hutch? He's either Starsky or Hutch. I've never seen Starsky and no. Hutch. Yeah. So I would not know that reference. I mean, he's the dude that you meet in college that you think is so fucking brilliant and like committed to people and shit. And, and then you get older and you're just He's like, a revolutionary. Yeah, he's a free like, thinker. Fucking Jesus. Like, just get a job, man. Well, is he, you think he'd be, be better in bed than. Definitely model? better in bed. Okay. But would like. More trying. It's so tiring. And would just contribute nothing to the household and but give you some bullshit like theory about like fucking economics or something. And it's just like, dude. He says money is the world's curse. You need to pay half the rent or get the fuck out of here. Um, so. He says, may God smite me with it. May I never recover. So, yeah. So she chose that dude. Which, okay. And who proposes to her it's in not, the most insufferable way. It's of not like, the most romantic Let's engage scene. in this socioeconomic relationship. But. Huddle, there's a question. A certain question I, I wish to discuss with you. Yes? It's a political question. What is it? The question of marriage. Is this a political question? Well, yes. Yes, everything's political. Well, like everything else, the relationship between a a man and a woman has a socioeconomic base. Marriage must be founded on mutual beliefs, a common attitude and and philosophy towards society. And affection. Oh, yes, of course. That, That is also necessary. Such a relationship can have positive social values. When two people face the world with... Unity and and solidarity. And affection. Yes, that is an important element. At any rate, I... I personally am in favor of such a... socio-economic relationship. I think... you are asking me to marry you. 
well, uh, a theoretical sense, yes. It's just, just that's that should tell you right there. <laughs> that's not your dude. That's not going to be your dude. But she likes him. Again, yes, we all like that guy when we're in our like twenties, <laughs> and then the shit gets old. But this time, when they when they go to talk to Tevia, mm -hmm. they they're not asking. No, they, they inform him. They would like his blessing. Married. They're not asking for his permission. Right, which again is just now we've gone further. Yes, in breaking with tradition. Mm -hmm. You are not asking for my permission. But we would like your blessing, Papa. I can't believe my own ears. My blessing? For what? For going over my head. Impossible. At least with title and model. They ask me, they beg me. But now if I like it or not, you'll marry him. What do you want from me? Go on, be wed. And tear out my beard and uncover my head. Tradition, they're not even asking permission from the Papa. What's happening to the tradition? One little time I pulled out the thread, and where has it led? Where has it led? Where has it led to this? A man tells me he's getting married. He doesn't ask me, he tells me. But first he abandons you. And then he runs off and gets arrested in Kiev. And sent to fucking and Siberia. Sent to Siberia. And she's like, I'm gonna go be with my man, bitch. You wouldn't Hell you wouldn't. no. I get sent to Siberia and I send for you, you're not gonna get on the train. First of all, he didn't send for her. She chose to go. That's what she told her father. Was like he didn't ask me to go, I'm going. So, number one. Okay. Number two, no. I would not go to Siberia to be with you. Chicago's too cold for you. You're not going to like, like Siberia. No. What the hell am I going to do in Siberia? Nope. Okay, so yeah, so so Hoddle's off to, to be with her man in Siberia. Siberia, or Bernie bro, as you're calling him. Mm -hmm. And we get a song there, and I said to you at the time, that's really the only song in this movie that just puts my ass to sleep. I, I, I don't know what it is about that song. Far From the Home I Love, I think it's called. How can I hope to make you understand Why I do what I do Why I must travel to a distant land Far from the home I love It just yeah. was one among many that I did not <laughs> enjoy, so this big sad ballad about how she's leaving home and I just don't just not feeling that one mm -hmm. but you know we got two daughters married off so the third one shouldn't be a problem uh-huh so she almost gets like gang raped or something <laughs> uh, while she's walking her cow by a bunch of the the Cossacks the the Russians and then one of them is like hey dudes get the fuck away from her and this is Fietka. whatever and so <laughs> no it's Fietka. <laughs> He's like, hey, what's going on? I want to, like, talk to you and get to know you. I'm amazing. Here's a book. <laughs> Read the book so we can talk about the book. You didn't like any of these guys. I really didn't. I really didn't. What he, was wrong with Fietka? He was a little presumptuous. He was like, she, like, that's... I mean, he was, you know, flirty. Okay. Mm, anyway, so, yeah. He <laughs> Not did. as rapey as his friends. Is that a bar? <laughs> I'm not as rapey as my friends. Want to go out? And I like to read. This is the other man you should look out for. <laughs> the man that's trying to give you books or, like, recommend books. Just 
Because it ends up being like Ayn Rand or some bullshit like that. You're just like, get the fuck out of here. So, yeah. She is like in love with him pretty much immediately. And this is the relationship that proves to be too much for Tevia. Because he's not Jewish. I I actually really like that. That scene. And it's... It's after the fact at that point that Golda has gone to the church. In a very tense scene, she's gone to the Christian yeah. church. and Which is not very welcoming to her. No, they're not very friendly at all. And mm-hmm. I mean, she's obviously very nervous about being there, but she eventually finds out that... They'd gotten married. That Hava and Fietka had gotten married in the Christian church. Yeah. And she comes and tells, t- finds Tevia in the field and tells him that. And he's like, she's dead to me. he's like, yeah, she's dead to us now. Go home. We have other children at home. Yeah. Four out of five ain't bad. Got to play the odds sometimes. Got to let him go. And then Hava comes to see him, and it's it is it's the third replay of mm-hmm. that. You know, oh look at my daughter's eyes. You know, how can I deny her happiness thing? And he does the whole on the one hand, on the other hand mm-hmm. that he's been doing all along. Mm-hmm. And then he just hits a point. He's like, no, there is no other hand. No, Papa, I beg you to accept us. Accept them? How can I accept them? Can I deny everything I believe in? On the other hand, can I deny my own daughter? the other hand, how can I turn my back on my faith, my people, if I try and bend that far, I'll break. Kind of heartbreaking. Yes. You don't think so? <laughs> no. It, <laughs> it is. It is heartbreaking because you can see that she so desperately wants her father to approve. But we can also understand why this is the thing that he just can't get past. Particularly when it's placed in this sort of more, this broader context of ethnic strife. Where it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, well now you're like literally marrying the enemy. Who's right. trying to destroy our very way of being. So... Yeah. And speaking of the ethnic strife, things get worse shortly thereafter. Very much so. You get an edict from St. Petersburg kicking all the Jews out, basically. Yes. They have three days to sell their homes, which... To whom? That's what was my question. I was like, who the fuck are they selling to? Is there a big real estate market? Probably not. So, yeah. So, they basically have to walk away from their homes. Yeah, and everything they own. And everything they own. And they have three days in which to do it. And it's pretty heartbreaking because, you know, there's the initial reaction of we're going to, you know, stand and fight. And then there's a realization that there's no winning in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they try to sort of, there's another song about, you know, there's nothing here. It's just how, like, right. there's no, That sour grapes right. thing. Like, this was always yeah. a crappy place. Well, 
Anatevka hasn't exactly been the Garden of Eden. That's true. After all, what have we got here? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A pot, a pan, a broom, a hat. Someone should have set the match to this place years ago. A bench, a tree. What's a house? Or a stove? People who pass through an Atefka don't even know they've been here. A stick of wood. Piece of cloth. What do we leave? Nothing much. Only And then we just see everyone in the town sort of pack up, and you get this very sort of Ken Burns ish montage of them like standing sadly. Yes, yeah, so all the faces of the townspeople. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have a series of goodbyes. Devia mm-hmm. and Gold are taking the remaining kids to. New York. America. Mm-hmm. Um, Laser Wolf's going to Chicago. Yes. To live with the... His brother-in-law. Brother-in-law that he doesn't that actually he like. Doesn't like. Uh, and Yenta's going to Israel. Mm-hmm. She, maybe. Like, I have questions of whether or not she actually makes it anywhere. Because she seems very absent-minded. But... Uh, <laughs> well, she also seems old as shit. She's also old To be making shit. that trip. And then Hava and... Hava and Fietka come by to Fietka, say goodbye. Yes. And at first, Tevya is, you know, icing her out, but Fietka says something to the effect of, like, some people are being... Driven away by edicts and... Others by silence. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that... Right, they say, they say we want it, because they don't have to leave. Right. But they say, we wanted you to know that we're leaving, too, because mm-hmm. we can't stay in this place that would do this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Tevya won't talk to them and won't let anyone else talk to them, yeah. either. But he eventually breaks down. A little bit. A little bit. Sort of under his breath. Yeah. Hoddle, Hoddle yells goodbye to them, and he mumbles, and God be with you. <laughs> and then Hoddle yells that at them, too. So it's a little... It's a little bit. A little concession you know. there at the end. But then, yeah, everybody's packing up, and mm-hmm. it's a really sort of dark, sad montage of Tevya trudging through the mud with the wagon. And Can we talk about how much that would suck? It would suck a whole lot. Like, his normal life was hard enough. Like, just being a milkman, walking all over town, lugging this, because his horse is always lame, and he's just lugging this milk cart all over town Mm -hmm. in the wintertime, everything. Yeah. Uh, And now, yes, he's just carrying all his worldly possessions on his back. And so it's, you know, a scene of a montage of, like, you know, all the people of the town sort of scattering to the winds in different places, and... We're following Tevya and his family, and then his hallucination shows up. <laughs> it's not a hallucination. He doesn't have a brain tumor. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah, it's... And it's basically, I guess, supposed to symbolize the fact that even though they are leaving this town, the traditions right, they will take go the with traditions him. with them. So, and this is, from what I understand of the short stories, the Sholem stories, this is the biggest difference, is sort of in how it ends, and that. You know, those were really more a lamentation for this lost way of life. Okay. They ended sort of sadly. Mm-hmm. And when they made the musical, what they did is they sort of turned this into this immigration origin story, right? Mm-hmm. This is because it ends with the family going to America. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, you know, we can imagine a happier life for them in America. Mm-hmm. Not at first, but. Well, no, probably not <laughs> easy. Yeah. But, you know, they are off to the new world. Mm-hmm. And again, this sort of assimil- the assimilation and the modernity and all of that 
theoretically will continue off screen after the end of this story mm-hmm. as they head to America. But yeah, they take the fiddler shows up and looks at him like, Can I come? And he just sort of gives him a head nod and the fiddler follows. So they're gonna take their traditions with them. Yes. Into the new world. Yes. It's like drop dead Fred. Excuse me? It's like Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I've even seen Drop Dead Fred. You have seen it because we watched it. I made you watch it with Phoebe Cates. Oh, she's imaginary got the imaginary friend, friend yes. who's really annoying. I think he's one of the uh, the young ones. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so the fiddler is like Drop Dead Fred. It's like Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's an interpretation, sure. <laughs> or Kazoo. One or the other. <laughs> All right. I feel like. And this is your fault. This is your influence. I feel like we skipped over a lot of the songs. I don't have anything to say about... We skipped over If I Were a Rich Man. Didn't like it. If nothing else, the theme of it should resonate with you. You're the one always talking about wanting money. Yes, I say it. I don't sing it. (laughs) Maybe you should try singing it. I don't think that that's the answer. I really don't, because he was still not a rich man at any point, so... If I were a rich man... Yabba-dibba-dibba-dibba-dibba-dibba-dibba-dibba-dum... All day long I biddy biddy bum If I were a wealthy man I wouldn't have to work hard Yabbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibbitibb
I suppose I love you too. But that was the only song I liked. I don't know what to do with you. I feel like we have not done this movie justice. <laughs> well, and I totally take blame, but I do not enjoy musicals. So I thought Tevia and Golda were great characters mm-hmm. and made what could have been a very painful film for me tolerable. That is about it. What was the most painful part? All of the songs. <laughs> Pick one. I, that's not possible. <laughs> they were all pretty painful for me, except the one between Tevia and Golda. I really liked the wine dance at the wedding. Really liked that. The bottle dance. The bottle dance, yes. But I don't think there was any singing there. I think that was just music. It was just music, yes. there you go. And it was also performative. See, you like songs and dances in these movies where there's a reason. Yes. This is one of the reasons Singing in the Rain was easier on you, is because they were... Performing. They were performing. Yes. And it made more sense that they would be singing and dancing. Whereas Tevia just dancing in his barn singing is harder on you. Maybe that's why God punishes you. <laughs> because of the singing? Yes. Maybe God is like me and is like, I fucking hate musicals. <laughs> you might be onto something there. I mean, the Von Trapp family had to flee their home, too. So Sound of Music. So much singing. That Maybe that's the key. Brought the Nazis down on their Please heads. Please stop singing. Nazis don't sing. Exactly. It's just a terrifying worldview that you have. <laughs> All right, well. So, how do you feel about this as a Christmas movie? No. <laughs> You admitted that it was, one, it was supposed to be not even Christmas adjacent, but Hanukkah adjacent. No, I told you it wasn't even Hanukkah adjacent. Right, so, no, it was not. But it is a movie that people watch at Christmas time. Sure. I don't know why. <laughs> it is a weird film for that sort of sing-along yeah. event. Yes. Um, and apparently, I read an article talking about one of these sing-along events where it was very Rocky Horror, where, like, when... Laser Wolf is giving them the chickens, like people throw rubber chickens at the screen. Oh, God. That kind of thing. And again, this movie gets really dark yeah, in places. Yeah. It's that's a That's not the vibe. <laughs> yeah, that would be odd. Yeah. It's a there's a tonal mismatch happening yeah. there, I think. Yeah. So you'd rather go to a sound of music single? I'd rather not do either. <laughs> I don't do single. This is why I do not go to those things, because I am not the audience for that. It's not like I go and tell everybody else they shouldn't be doing it. I just do not go to those things because it's not for me. Now, when Millennium Park played Purple Rain as one of its summer movies, I was absolutely out there singing with everybody at the end. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful We're going to call that singing, are we? So we're done. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we ease into 2020 with Nakia's first viewing of a film that's both Christmas-adjacent and New Year's-adjacent, Barry Levinson's Diner from 1982. For those of you playing along at home, Diner is available to rent from Amazon Prime, YouTube, and the other streaming services. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. <laughs>